We're losing! Teamwork, guys, more teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast, here's Art and Caleb. Welcome back to Between the Stammers. It's January 30th. Man, it's been a long month. The Canucks are through the All-Star break. They're rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling hot. Four Fred in a Durst row. over there. I didn't even I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, Caleb Kirby here alongside myself. And we have back with us our contributor from Vancouver, former sports reporter for News 1130, Rich Brown. Hey, yeah, buddy. thanks for having me, guys. I think I'm... I'm more well known for being a contributor on Between the Stammers than my time at News 11:30, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Whatever you guys want to do, Rich Kirby's fine. I I, I I appreciate every time we get to talk sports with Rich because Rich knows his sports and he's a beauty. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the Canucks are rolling. They've won four in a row. They've won 13 of 16. They've um, including nine in a row at home. Like this is. This is unprecedented stuff for this Vancouver Canucks team in quite a while. So uh, we are going to get into that, but I figure we'd start off right off the bat with the biggest sports story in the world. Biggest, one of the biggest stories in the world outside, I'd say. Coronavirus. Yeah, I guess coronavirus is the biggest story in the world. But um, we lost a legend, an icon uh, in Kobe Bryant, everybody knows, and, not, and, set, and eight other lives, including his uh, adorable daughter, Gianna so it was uh it was a tough week yeah for me it was really tough and uh, and I I it's it was hard for me to like understand why it was tough for me like I was trying I was going in my head all week going why why is this like such a problem for me because you know I've never met Kobe um he's he he's never been my favorite player in the NBA but I think it's it's for me, it's what he represents. Um, like, for me, he represents achievement. He recommends the highest, you know, the highest achievement in, in sports, really. So um, I think for that, I've always respected him. Um, and really, I didn't want to believe it for the last couple of days. I remember I've told a few people around the station here, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy it happened on Sunday and not on Monday. Because I don't think I would have been able, or I don't know how I would have been able to get through that story, and that's that's strange because I've you know I've 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 uh, reported some really terrible stuff on the air. So, anyways, yeah, I'm I'm kind I'm curious to see what how you guys felt about it. If it hit you guys as hard as it hit me, or if um, I'm just uh, singular in that. Uh, Kobe's part of the sporting world. It's not you know like I for me it's a fraternity like. And I'm a consumer of sports media, and he's one of the biggest figures in all of sports. So I think that's – it felt like losing one of the greatest of all time. Uh, I don't know where to start. Curb, Kobe? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I think I think you put it pretty well. I mean, he was my favorite basketball player ever. Like, there's no two ways about that. And, and I don't know, like, when you – when you you texted me the news because you're a news guy, right? So like Art always has like these like crazy scoops on shit when it goes down, and as soon as you texted me that, I was I was kind of like just floored, right? And I just texted back, I'm like, are you serious? Like what? You know, I didn't really know what else to say, and uh, like Kobe was a generational athlete, you know, like he was. 
you know, you had your Derek Jeters in that area. You had your Peyton Mannings, Kobe Bryant's. Like, these guys were, like, all faces of the game at that point. Kobe, to me, was – he was a guy that just, like, he was – he was kind of like Michael Jordan 2.0, I always thought. Even though Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan, like, fantastic player, right? Um, I didn't really get to appreciate Michael, I think, as much as I did get to appreciate Kobe Bryant just due to my age, mm-hmm. right, and 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 seeing it happen. And, um, like, he was, he was a guy that, like, when you watched him play, you're like, man, like, he has God-given ability, but the reason why he is so good is because he puts the time in, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what he's known for. Right, like you, you go back and you look at his conversations with Shaquille O'Neal, and they reminisce on those teams and everything. And like even Shaq's like, "Yeah, you pushed me, man." Like, and like when I showed up out of shape, like you were the guy who rode me to get back into it for us to like do this together and go out and win another one. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the my favorite things about Kobe is just like watching him in games. Like, there's so many moments in bad. Like that guy kind of made me fall in love with basketball harder than I ever thought I was going to fall in love with that sport. So, you know, like, there'd be times in a game and it'd be, like, a huge game, playoff game or something like that, and then you'd see the ball, like, go up top to the fish, Derek Fisher, and then, like, it'd just go to Kobe and he'd be open and you're like, this is over. Mm-hmm. Like, before I even shot. You're like, this game is over and Kobe's sealed it up again and this is just, like, Laker basketball. And you knew that, like, people who weren't, like, ride or die, like, hardcore Laker fans, like, they were cursing them but also being like, I can't. I got to respect it because, like, that's his game, yeah. right? And uh, I've always, like, just hearing that, like, made me, like, a, first of all, I was kind of shattered when I heard it, but then it just made me go over all these moments and just really, like, kind of reappreciate everything that that guy gave to, you know, the sport and, and the fraternity, like you say. Like, yeah. it's... uh it wasn't easy news to process. I don't think for anybody. And then like, like the whole other side of it, like the human side of it is the other people on the copter, like his daughter is, it's such a tragic story. And, and everything that Kobe had done, even after leaving the game, like he was looking to give back to the game. And, and he had like his, his, his Mamba kind of like course where he was showing, breaking down video and showing people how to become better and, and, and how to put the work in. And he was in instilling that type of stuff in his daughters that that had passion for the game like he he was just a passionate guy he was a really likable guy whether you were a lakers fan or not and like he's it's a huge huge loss for for the not just for basketball but like for the sporting world and and it's and it's still kind of surreal to be honest it is it is uh rich what did you think when you first heard the news well it was i think like everyone it was just complete shock like it's so hard to it's so hard to even quantify how you feel when you when you hear news like that because i don't know there's something about the the sudden nature of it too where like he tweeted the night before about lebron passing him in points he was at the we saw him at the lakers game a couple nights before that like he he still was kind of front and center and so full of life like you could see how alive he was um so the sudden nature of it was just so shocking and hard, hard to even comprehend that it, it was real and that it was happening. Um, like, like art, uh, I don't, he was never one of my favorite basketball players, but he was always someone that I respected. And, uh, you know, I watched his documentary about him coming back from the Achilles surgery and I gained an even 
greater appreciation for his work ethic, especially watching that. I think that's something that he really embodied and represented uh, was just that relentless attitude to be great and relentless work ethic. Like, you know, that is the difference between good and great and professional athletes is the desire to win and the work ethic that those that put in that effort, like that dedicate their entire lives to their craft. Those are the only ones who have the chance to be legendary. And he was one of those legends. So um, I really feel like he was one of the biggest icons of our generation. Uh, I think Kirby, you said it best, like we were a little too young maybe to appreciate the Jordan era, uh, but the Kobe era was right in our sweet spot. Like we got to see, uh, we were old enough to kind of be there when he started his career. um, And then to see it through and still be kind of in the same age range as him. I mean, you just, we watched it all happen and you know, the 60 point, final game like I remember watching that and then uh his post basketball career he goes and I remember reading the the dear basketball letter that he wrote and then he turns it into the the short feature which he wins an Oscar for I mean (laughs) at any point during his basketball career if someone had said like oh you know what Kobe's going to do when he finishes playing basketball he's going to go win an Oscar I would have just yeah okay sure like that's going to happen but you know what he he put that relentless desire to be successful in everything he did. And when he made a commitment uh, to, to the arts or to production, um, that's what he did. He went and he was great and he won an Oscar for it. So, you know, it's so crazy to think that this guy is one of the top basketball players in history. And yet I'm still looking at this of the tragedy of unfulfilled potential um, and not just him the entire helicopter is unfulfilled potential. It's, it's the, the biggest tragedy of lives that were cut way too short. Um, his daughter, you know, we, we don't know what would have been, but she was the one that was going to carry on his basketball legacy. Like he was passing things on to her and everyone talked about how her movement on the court was the same way he moved and how there's videos of him teaching her the, the push off step back jumper, doing it the exact same way he did. Um, and I think the other thing that you think about too is uh, how everyone talks about the biggest shock is that even though he is this mega star on the basketball court, the memories of him that everyone are talking about is more so to do with him as a father. Um, and that's just so heartbreaking of the way it happened. I think about a lot of things. I think about his family and all the families and what they're going through. Um, but I think about, you know, those final moments, if they knew what was like, what was coming, if they were indeed kind of, you know, heading down and they knew it was coming. I mean, the feeling of a father being with your daughter and knowing that you're helpless to protect her. I, I can't even imagine what he went through in those final moments, but it's just so hard to even believe it's real. And I think the thing that surprised me the most is celebrity deaths never I'm I'm always sad, of course, but they don't affect me in a way where I can't stop thinking about it. It took me it took me a few days to even stop thinking about it every couple of moments because there was just something special about this guy. And one thing I always say about celebrity, you know, people that are like obsessed with meeting a celebrity and oh my god, you'll never believe who I shook their hand or whatever. To me, I don't care about that stuff. I think of celebrities just as the same as you and me. But Kobe was different, like he was not just 
a professional basketball player. He was one of the greatest and it was his mindset and the way he lived his life that was different and it's inspirational. And I just see it as such a loss for the entire world. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think you make a lot of good points there when you talk about uh, first and foremost about how we grew up watching him grow up. Like he, and, and if you look at his, like he was 41 years old when he died, um, but he was in the league for 20 years, 21 years, I think it was. And so he was in, he was an NBA player longer than he wasn't a player. Like he came into the league when he was 17. He came into the league when he was 17. So he was in the league. He was an NBA player. Yeah. For, for more than half of his life, he was in the NBA. That's crazy, man. And, uh, you know, Kobe wasn't perfect, man. Like there, there are the rape allegations, which you can't ignore. Um, there is the rape allegation that you can't ignore, but he grew up, we grew up with him. And, and that's the, that's the nostalgia for me, I think, because I, he's responsible for hours and hours of debate for me, Hour, hours of, uh, you know, who's better, Shaq or Kobe, who's better, Michael or, Co- or Kobe. Uh, he's responsible for uh, me going over the triangle offense with, you know, my team when I was playing in high school with, uh, you know, emulating his moves and, uh, you know, because I spent a lot of time in the gym playing basketball when I grew up. And uh, for me, that's the nostalgia part of him. And then when you talk about, um, you know, Kobe or Caleb here mentioned about his desire and he like he yeah, he's the not only is he blessed with great basketball talent because he is he's six foot six. You know, he's got the great wingspan. He can jump through the roof. He won a dunk competition, but he was never satisfied. And that means that means, you know, he wanted to be the greatest player of all time. So like so many players that came into the league, they were like. Okay, you know, like we don't want to be we don't want to be the next Michael Jordan. Like Grant Hill and Trace McGrady, they weren't interested in that. They were like, "Well, let's, you know, let's hold off. I'm just going to try and be my own guy." Kobe was like, "Man, I want to be the best. I want to be Michael Jordan." Yeah. You know? Like that's and that's a a desire that not a lot of people have. And for me, you can take that to any part of your life. And that's why I love his quote, "The difference between good and great is want. How much you want it. Not everybody wants that. Not a lot of people are uh, happy with living their lives the way, you know, like they're comfortable. They're happy yeah, being they're comfortable. Yeah, content. Exactly. And Kobe, you know, he was, he was, gr- he's a great player. He wanted to be even better, the best that he could be. And I think that is something that I really appreciate that I like. That is, that is achievement. That is, that is something I respect so much. Even though this guy, man, he, I hated him as oh, a player. He's a dream stomper yeah. for, for a lot of fans. And, I mean, a lot of Canadian fans too, right? Yeah. Like, you look at all the times he just, like, stepped on the sun's hopes and dreams of ever making it to an NBA final. Like, yeah. Steve Nash just couldn't get past him, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, like, and, and it was because it was like he was imposing. Like, he was, he was. that guy. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's why he's on my Mount Rushmore basketball with a bullet. Yeah. You know, like, and, and I don't even think it's – and, like it's debatable. Like he is, he is there. And and the point that that uh, Rich is making about his after basketball life. And I think there's a really good article, guys. If you haven't read it, it's by Charles Pearson. It kind of uh, at first I was hesitant to read it because uh, I thought it was a little too soon to talk about you know who Kobe was as a person 
off the court and, you know, some of the some of the, you know, the the rape allegation to talk about that sort of thing when a guy like him just died, you know. But I read it and it did a great job of talking about how Kobe grew up before our very eyes and how, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe in his next maybe after his pro basketball career was over, he was trying to do everything right. Like that means being a great father. That means uh, you know, being an ambassador for the game, for sports, inspiring young yeah. kids. That's the major tragedy, though, right, yeah. Art? Is because you felt like he still had so much more to give. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. to, not only to his family, but to the sport and, and to all the people that have been watching him develop as a person. You, you felt like there was more that he was going to do because that's the kind of person he was. He's so driven. Like, you and I, we were lucky enough to go to the, you know, Basketball Hall of Fame inductions to see Steve Nash get inducted. And even when we were doing that, we were talking about, like, going back and watching, like, you know, KG, Paul Pierce, Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant all go in the same year. And we're like, is there a better, like, induction year ever than to go and watch those four guys go in? And, like, for that... Fuck, that's sad. For that, like, to not even be able to be a thing for him is just, like, like... And and this is me just speaking as a fan here right now. Like, that is – it just royally sucks, like, just as a fan. And, like, could you imagine, like, his peers and his family and all those other people that are looking forward to that to mm-hmm. not be able to see that? Like, it's just mm-hmm. – it's just so heartbreaking. And, 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 like, this is only – it felt like this was kind of only the beginning for him with the, the knowledge that he was passing down even to, like – even when the Lakers were brutal and he was still on that team and he was, like, imparting wisdom – you know, to like these young players as they were coming in the league and being like, yeah, stick with it, trying to give them worth ethic and, and, and trying to move them forward. It's just, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, it's. And, he, and it's, he's a little bit from the old school too, yeah, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy to to even think that. And and uh, I, I like, I'm still kind of coming to grips with it. But I guess, like, if you guys want to keep talking about this, we totally can. I just wanted to kind of share some of my favorite Kobe memories. Yeah, what is your favorite Kobe memory? Like, um, I think for me, it it has to be that series against Sacramento, you know, where they ended up winning the NBA championship, and it was Sacramento in the first round. And Sacramento was stacked. They had, like, Bibby, Peja Stojakovic, Chris Webber, Vladi Divac. So to to correct you a little bit, it was the Western Conference Final. Yeah, sorry. It was yeah. A, yeah, it was Western so the, Conference Final. So the winner was going to the final. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it yeah. was the Spurs or if it was the Kings that year, because yeah. they played them both. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. And the Kings the Kings were the top seed. Yeah. And they were trying to knock off the champs, right? Yeah. Who had just, you know, the, were going for their third straight, I believe. 2003, Robert Ory hits that ridiculous shot. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. That series is some of the best. Bat- it is. It's some of the best. And I and I am a die. I was like so on board with the Kings watching that. Oh, I think almost everybody who wasn't a Lakers fan was cheering the Kings on. Yeah, right. That's uh, that's that's a moment. And it was sure. just like it was just such a good series, like front to back. It was like one of the best series I've ever watched. And uh, like I was, I was just like so enthralled. Like it's it's what playoffs are all about. Like the emotion is so high. Mm-hmm. Right and and to see them kind of galvanize and come together as as a team that wasn't the favorite and upset like I was just I couldn't believe how good that team was and Kobe was obviously a major major component of that. Uh, Rich, do you have anything to add to that or have your favorite moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually I think that last game is it's obviously the most fresh in my memory, but yeah. it's just it's a moment I I can't forget and 
the odd thing about it is I remember watching it and thinking, you know, if this was just a, a regular middle of the season game, Kobe's not retiring, anything like that. Like there's no way that the game goes down the way it goes because his teammates just kept passing up shots to give it to him. Like it, the whole game plan was basically, let's see how many points Kobe Bryant can score tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still just like magical to watch it. I think the atmosphere um, and even if, you could take a, a bunch of other Hall of Fame players and do the exact same thing with them in their final game. They might not have been able to score 60, and he did. Like, no matter what kind of opportunities he was given to, to get that many points, he made the shots, and he made it happen. Um, and just, like, the atmosphere at that game, and then, uh, you know, when he took the microphone at the end of the game and spoke to the crowd, like, it, it was such a magical moment. And for someone who you know, you can't always go out with a championship. It's, but that's the, that's the dream to retire that way. Right. But uh, this was different, but it was still kind of like a dream ending, even though it wasn't a title, it was a dream way for him to end his career. I just, I remember thinking how perfect it was. And uh, that's a moment that I really remember. And then uh, I have to say, like, I think the, the feud with Shaq and how he took it upon himself that he had to win these titles without Shaq and, and getting those, those two championships afterwards. Like that's something that stands out to me as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just today and I think Kirby can attest to that cause he was near my, uh, desk today and looking at my computer, but I was watching the, the some of that final game and Kobe had 48 points with like three minutes remaining in that game. And then yeah. he hit he hit like every shot, and it was just like, man, you cannot draw this up any better. Like you can't, he couldn't be in a gym with with doing it by himself and doing that. You know, like it was, it was it was quite a moment. And having all the fans with you know wanting this, everybody wanting it was yeah. You can't you can't draw that up. I don't think. And that was a moment. Uh, that was a moment. I'm really glad that he had that moment in his last because you guys have played sports. You know that you can't replicate those moments you just can't it's it's something you can't explain either like like when the crowd wants it for you when you want it for you, your teammates want it for you yeah. and then you make it happen it's just that's what i love about sports those moments yeah right? it, it reminds me of the the Derek jeter his final game where he yeah. hits the was it his final game or his final home game but he hits the game winning walk-off single at yankee stadium yeah yeah like it's just moments like that that make sports so special because they aren't scripted. You can't script it. Like the game has to set up in this way as well. Mm-hmm. And so when it happens, it's just so magical because you know, this, this is reality. This is real life. And it just played out this way. And it's the perfect story. If you, yeah. if you wanted to write the story, that's how you would write it. That's, that's like what truly separates like good from great, right? Like these, these Titans of sports who show up in like these, like his final game, Derek Jeter in that, that moment, the Sedins in their final like home yeah. game, right? Yeah. Like yeah. all these types of moments. Um, w- one thing that I always thought was just incredible about Kobe and, and like you kind of touched on it earlier, Rich was like that jump, that jumper fadeaway, right? Where he was, he'd had his back to a guy and he'd turn and it was just completely undefendable. Like you couldn't defend it. Yeah. Right. It was just like muscle memory. He'd just spin, turn, fade away, let it go. And then it'd just be in and like, you know, the people guarding would be like, I can't, I can't do anything without getting a foul. Like there's nothing I can do. And it's so interesting to kind of look at the comparisons, like 
throughout basketball between between Kobe and Michael, Kobe and Michael, and that was the conversation for years before like LeBron came into the league. It was like Kobe and Michael, Kobe and Michael. LeBron came into the league, different kind of player, but one of the greatest ever as well, right? And um, I always thought that that was like Kobe's best move, like in his arsenal, was that yeah. right? And uh, I remember when Jordan came back and he played for the Wizards for a little while and he didn't have that same type of ferocity where he would, you know, drive the lane and be able to dunk on guys. And Jordan got better at doing that move, right? And it was just kind of like he Jordan knew how to do it before, but, like, fr- from shooting from that area, I was just like, man, that's, like, kind of like the master, the master teaching the student for years and years and years. Yeah. And then this is something that he – has worked on to get to a level where, where Kobe is at it now. And I, I always kind of like, when you look at those, th- th- I think the comparisons will always be made between those two guys because their, their skill set was so similar. Obviously Jordan, like his numbers and, and everything like and I, are in his favor, but just two massive greats. I, I think my favorite Kobe moment is, this, it's just, and, and this is going to sound kind of cliche, but like it's over his career. I, have rooted against Kobe Bryant his entire career. I have. And so my best memories of Kobe is him just shoving it in my face. Time and time again, man. We're like, like when I was cheering, I'd cheer for the Sacramento Kings. Nope, Kobe would win. I'd cheer yeah. for the Phoenix Suns. Nope, Kobe would win. He even cheered for the Celtics. I even cheered for the Celtics. Nope, Kobe would win. And you know there was there there were moments too when I was watching. I think it was in two thousand and eight that championship when they beat the Celtics, and I was like, you know what? There was a moment there. I was like, I had to rethink. I was like, maybe, maybe Kobe is better than Michael. You know, like I had that <laughs> moment, and then I was like, oh, no. And then, and then, but like that that was that's my favorite memory. Oh, he's of Kobe. so clutch. Yeah, right? that that I was just like, this guy is that good, and he works so hard to be that good. And just to shove it in people like me, my my face. So yeah. that's that's my greatest memory is Kobe defeating me all the time. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I did have uh, just the one clip, one of my favorite quotes from Kobe because he was he was full of good quotes because he was he was a charismatic guy. He was great in front of the mic. He was just go go watch any of his like you know Jimmy Kimmel or Conan O'Brien or Jimmy Fallon, any of those uh, you know his uh, interviews with those guys. He was. He was he was larger than life. He's a he's a special person. There's a reason why he's a global icon. There really is, right? There's a reason why he is known around the world more than Shaq is even known. There's right? a reason why three dudes are talking about him on a hockey podcast and they haven't even got to the local like stuff what we're yeah. talking about yeah. yet. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's that. just no, he's just an absolute gamer and he's gonna be missed. Yeah. Right. So this is one of my favorite one of one of his quotes. When he was asked uh, what does he want to be remembered for? And I, I said a long time ago, uh, when I was 15 years old, I made a promise to myself and said, at the end of my career, um, I want people to think of me as a talented overachiever. And I was blessed with talent, but that I worked as if I had none. If I could remember, be remembered that way, that would, that would be pretty good. Uh, yep, gone, but uh, definitely not forgotten. Uh, Kobe Bryant and his uh, daughter and uh, the other seven people on board that uh, helicopter. So. Um, thanks guys. That was kind of therapeutic for me. Cause I, you know, I'd been thinking about it all week and I've been thinking about like, how, what am I going to say about it? Like, how am I going to put down in words, you know, how I felt about the whole situation, the tragedy and everything. So, 
uh, thank you guys for that. Thank you. Uh, Those Canucks, man, they're fucking rolling. (laughs) Like, seriously, this team, uh, you know, winners of four straight after defeating uh, the San Jose Sharks. You know, the Sharks are not, you know, they're not world beaters this year by any stretch of the imagination. Getting the 5-2 win. Uh, for me, that game, and maybe you guys can comment on this. Uh, hope, I hope they didn't. They didn't really play all that well in the first two periods, but then they showed how great of a team they were to win the third period. Like that, to me, that's real. That was that's more impressive, as impressive as some games where they've like dominated from start to finish. Man, we were just talking about this though, and I feel like you might have flip flopped on it because, like, when we were talking about it, you're like, you gotta give the Sharks credit for those first two periods. Well, you do. They you were do. playing really well, you and do. I'm like, I don't think they were. I thought the Canucks were just bad in those first two periods, and and kind of turned it on. I thought that game was right for the picking, basically from pop, puck drop, mm. and those those first two periods, just nothing was clicking, and it was kind of like laissez faire, you know, like just not the most exciting hockey. Right, I mean San Jose was kind of going and 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 everything, but like they, they I was I was sitting there in that second period thinking to myself, and I'm like, dude, they better not farm this because this is the beginning of a road trip, right? Where they go down to San Jose and then they got to go all the way to New York, and this is the easiest game of this road trip. Like these are points they need to have, and a good team should get these points. And lo and behold, in the third period, they just turn it on. And win the game. Yeah, I thought that was right? impressive. Like, how many? You it's know, impressive. It's a, but sign, it's it's also, a sign of good teams. It's, it's a sign of good teams. It's also annoying, like when you're watching it because you're like, and even they they won the game, and I'm like, yeah, that's a sign of a good team. And I was I was thinking the same things that you were saying, but I'm like, are they good enough to think that they can do this mm-hmm. as often as as it happens? Because it's burnt them before this season, yeah, right? Yeah. They've taken a period. They've taken a second period off. And we've seen them lose a game. Yeah. So this game, to me, I was like, this is an important road trip. Like, this this game should be a win. I was expecting them to win it. Yeah. Right? Uh, Rich, what did, like, did you see the same thing? Well, it feels like this has been a, a theme for the last month, uh, that they don't necessarily play the full 60 minutes. But the one consistent is that their goaltender keeps them in every single game. Yeah. And eventually, it seems like eventually they figure it out. They get the offense rolling, and they figure out how to get two points. That's what's been happening. And, and I seem to remember a couple months ago on this podcast, me suggesting that Jacob Markster <laughs> might get $7 million per year. And I was basically laughed off of the internet. We saw your Twitter tweet. had a field day. <laughs> we and saw all your I have tweet. to say after the last two months is pay that man his money. <laughs> I liked it. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I liked it right away. When I saw you put that out there last night, I'm like, He's got a point. After that Dominic Hashik windmill save he made in that game last night, he kind of saved that game. That game could have gone off the rails right there. Yeah. And and that was a huge, huge lift for that team, I thought. They were under siege at one point, down 2-1 to one already. They were just under siege again. And Markstrom, I don't know how he keeps doing it, but he makes these huge, huge saves. He's not just like – the thing I love about – what we've seen out of him the last year plus now, like we're looking at about a 14-month stretch now, is even when we had the great Roberto Luongo, it felt like he often gave up a very An weak goal. One. And yeah. we were we were uh, all at BCIT together, and we called it the Luongo hole. Yeah. Every time he's, <laughs> some puck found a way through that bow-legged tall man, we called it the Luongo hole. But Markstrom never gives up these bad goals, it feels like. But at the same time, he's making just these miraculous saves 
And I, I just don't even know where to quantify, like how to quantify the importance of him to this team because the Canucks have like so much more talent than they have in the past couple of years, but they're still such a young team. And um, you can see how like in these games, when they're down two to one, if they give up a three to one goal, it, it could probably be game over at that point. Yeah. But their goaltender keeps it in him, keeps them in it. And then they find a way to get the tying goal and then everything clicks and they get a couple more. Like, He's just so important to this group, and I, I love watching him, and I love watching this team play. It's just been so much fun. You know what's funny about that, Rich, is um, I don't know if you saw that graphic last night that they showed on TV for, like, just Jacob Markstrom's save percentage period by period. And his weakest save percentage is in the second period. I think it was, like, .906. But his best save percentage was in the third, and it was, like, by a hefty margin. I think it was, like, .928 or, like, it might have even been in, like, the .93s. And, like, it just feels that way. Like, if they have a chance of winning, like, if they're close, if they can keep it close coming out of the second, it feels like they're going to win. Like, because Markstrom does tend to make those big saves in the third. It's just a matter of, like, not taking that second period off. Um, Yeah, like, I, I just, like, Markstrom has been huge. But another thing that really impressed me in that game last night was Petey didn't hit the sheet and Petey's one of those guys who, like, when you look at him, you're like, okay, he's such a superstar that he can strike at any point in any game at any time, and he's kind of like your ace in the hole. And it's like all it takes is one shot off his, his stick to score and and make this a game. And he didn't do that last night, and still the Canucks found a way to win, which I thought was pretty incredible. Yeah, they, you know, I mean, he had every opportunity, too. I well, have, two breakaways. Yeah, two breakaways. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to crush those usually, I think. Um Okay, so, yes, they've won these two games coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, pretty, I, don't, I didn't think they really deserved the one in St. Louis. Thank you, Thatcher Demko. See, I, uh, this is where I just, yeah. I t- thought they totally deserved that one. Uh, that, well, that third period, man, they were, they, were for, they were holding on for dear life. Absolutely, but, like, that they third were, and fourth line were doing their job, they man. They were like, Jack Dawson that, to in, me the, was like a in playoff the Titanic. Series. That's what they were holding I, just, I, I thought that was Demko's best game of the season. Oh yeah, in, in my opinion, he, he was he was Markstrom-esque. He was fantastic in that game. Thirty-seven really saves or something. Great. Yeah, and I, against a top opponent too. Like you look at the the standings in the West, it's so close. You know, like Colorado, and Vancouver with sixty-two, Dallas and Calgary with sixty, Edmonton fifty-eight, fifty-seven, fifty-seven. It's all really close. But St. Louis is eight points ahead of second place, yeah. and seventy points. Like. They are far and away the best team in this conference, and they looked it against the Canucks. I mean, that's not a shot against the Canucks. I'm not. I'm not suggesting the Canucks played poorly, and that's why St. Louis was starting to take over the game. But it took a, like an unreal goaltending effort in the third just to hold on to that one, and and Demko provided it. And that's what this team has been all about. Like whoever needs to step up, it seems like that's who steps up, um, and it's just. It, it, it has a special feeling. I don't know that I'm expecting like a long playoff run out of them, but I, I love what I've seen and I love how they come together and they find a way to get points, even if they are not the best team on the ice. Are you expecting playoffs now? Okay, okay, okay. Before you ask that question, uh, I, I, that's where I was going to go. But like here we are after the disastrous November. Like that was a shitty November. Yeah, absolutely. And then they've turned it around. They've won 13 of their last 16 games. Guys, do we feel different? What do? How do we feel about this team at this point? 
Can I just – I just want to say something about this St. Louis game because, like, we can give Demko <laughs> all the credit in the world, but, Still like, on this, I eh? really, really, really thought that, that that game had a playoff feel, and if it wasn't for the unsung heroes in that game, they would have been in a lot more trouble because they did get shot volume. Like, St. Louis got a lot of shot volume, but, like, a lot of those shots were kept to the outside, right? And guys like Beagle, guys like Mott, guys like Sutter – you know, that third line, even Besser in that game when he's playing down with, with Godet and Roussel, like those to me were the – those guys were the stars of that game in the third period. And the Canucks have had such a hard time this season protecting leads, right? And yep. watching them win that game, I'm like, man, this is like galvanizing this team just in a way, like in a mental way being like we can defend and we can win. And I – like for me, that was Jay Beagle's best game by a country mile, I thought. And I just wanted to bring that up because I didn't think it was just an individual effort by Demko. And I, I honestly didn't think St. Louis was that much better okay. for for the full 60. Okay, okay. Well, that also leads Back into to your the, question. But this leads into the question as well. Like, like, what more do we know about this team during this run? Because halfway through this run, if you would have asked me, where, how do you feel about this team? I'd stick with what I've been saying all year, you know? And what are you going to do now? They're, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> they're a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster season. We're going to have a lots of ups. We're going to have a lot of downs. But has this run and continue through the All Star break here with two wins on the other side of it? Do you, what do you feel about this team at this point? Has it changed since December, Rich? For me, I I'm gonna for the most part hold still my. My preseason prediction was that they would be in the playoff hunt until the final week of the season. They would be right in the hunt. But the thing that I worry about with this team is they are still so young. And it's so easily forgotten in this market that, like, oh, look at how great they're doing right now. Now it's a disappointment if they miss the playoffs. It's not a disappointment if they miss the playoffs. This is a successful season unless they lose every game the rest of the way or they have some sort of, like, epic collapse this is still a successful season, but they are in a very, very tight conference. And even just, you know, heading out on a road trip here, we saw what happened in the Florida swing, like a couple losses like that. And, you know, it's difficult to head over to the East coast and um, you know, they could find themselves out of the playoff picture in a couple of weeks. It could happen. Um, and I think we need to pump the brakes here as a, as a market here uh and you know the canucks twitter verse is always a bit of a train wreck but like you know that everyone is loving the canucks right now but if they find a way to miss out on the playoffs it's going to be the fire bending train which is the most ridiculous thing ever like look at this team they've got bo horvat brock besser elias Pettersson, quinn hughes adam godet jake Vertanen. and like these guys are all in their early 20s right now all of them and you just have to envision like five years down the road when these guys are all in their prime. How good is this team going to be? He has built a stacked lineup. And if they miss the playoffs this year, that is not the end of the world. And anyone who thinks that the team should be sacrificing draft picks, which I will say that for the most part, the market has been pretty good about uh, actually preferring that the Canucks just stand pat. That's how I feel. Um, You'd be crazy to give away any. I wouldn't give away a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round draft pick at this point. Uh, I would not give away anything that's a future asset. The Canucks have a lot in the pipeline as well that's to like, but 
to me, this is a team that loves playing for each other. They love playing with each other. They, you know, they have camaraderie. They've been winning games. It's been fun to watch, but they're still inexperienced and they're about to head into the toughest part of the season against a few teams that have been there that will be chasing them. So if they find a way to hold off these, these teams chasing them and make it into the playoffs, that's a huge step forward. But if they just miss out, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm going to have enjoyed the ride. Caleb Kirby, I have a feeling you feel the same ways you have all season. I said it at the beginning, and I still believe it. Like, I think they're going to make it. I really do. Um, I hope you're right. Uh, you know, like, they've done a lot of stuff. Like, beating those Blues is huge. Beating Washington earlier in the season. Like, they've beaten, like, some high-end teams. They go into Florida. They get their ass spanked in two games. That road trip could have been a complete disaster. They managed to salvage it a little bit, right? Like, and 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 they just continue to defy expectations and, expe- like, of what people have had of them. There's been so many times this year where people are like, the wheels have fallen off the bus. This team is done. This team is done. And barring any unforeseen, like, major injury to this team, I think they make it, right? They got the numbers on their side. All the underlying data basically says that this team is good enough to make the playoffs. The goaltending has been outstanding, as both of you guys have have pointed out already. Like, to me, it just feels like it's going to happen. And even if they get there, well, okay, like, with what you said, Rich, even if they fall short, the fire bending talk is ludicrous. Like, it is ludicrous. This, this team has done more than enough to be like, okay, this is a successful season. Even if they make the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round, it's still a successful season. But what I'm seeing from these guys, like, resolve-wise right now, it just feels like, like – kind of magical like they could do something not necessarily that they are but it's just like they're galvanized you know we have we have the the second line of Pearson Bow and Louie right now and they're just a bunch of like empty net specialist <laughs> vultures that like jump on the puck and score that empty like people are calling these these types of things happening in games in like the early third period when the Canucks have a lead they're like Louis gonna score an empty netter. Like you see it all the time, or or Pearson's gonna get the puck and they're gonna they're gonna bury it all right. Calling it right now. And these predictions are coming true. And I, I think a lot of teams in the NHL are for the first time in God knows how long are kind of like, fuck, like we gotta play the Canucks. And and even in that St. Louis game, like there was a point in the second period before like St. Louis really started to pour it on where the Canucks and St. Louis were trading chances, and you're like, Canucks look more dangerous, like, in transition than St. Louis does right now. And St. Louis, obviously, being the team they are, we're able to shut that down and hunker it down. But, like, you know, if you're a team that isn't as good and you got to play the Canucks and you can't be able to get into that defensive style, the Canucks are going to burn you. Like, they can score on you in a multitude of different ways. They kind of have all the tools in all the right areas to make it hurt. Even though their power play isn't firing on all cylinders right now, they're doing it at a 5-on-5 right? They're killing penalties. They're getting goals in tight to the net, which is something that you and I are were hammering on last season. Like, we're mm-hmm. like, nobody can score in tight. Mm-hmm. They're doing that, like, every single type of way. And guys are developing, like, this Jake Vertanen on the first line thing, which we'll probably go into more depth in more in depth about. Like, it's an interesting experiment that's paying dividends. And a lot of people are like, well, it's at the expense of Brock Besser. I don't look at it that way. I think this team like giving Jake this opportunity is making this team stronger. 
Okay. So this is goes. what I think. Here he goes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I have, as I've uh, said many times on this podcast, that I thought that they were going to come up just a little bit short. Like you've said, Rich, same thing. Uh, but I tell you, that like this run, and I'm going to take from what you guys have both said here, because, yes, the wheels could fall off at any moment because it is that tight. You're right about that, Rich. But with Kirby going and saying saying something that I've been feeling over this last, you know, run of 16 games, there is something special about this team. There's a, there's camaraderie on this team that I've, like, I've, I haven't felt in a team in a very long time since... You know, I guess since the 2011, 2012 seasons, like back then, like there is something uh, and you said it as well, Rich, like, uh, you know, this this team loves playing for each other with each other. And they're, they're going to find a way to get through some of these hard times together. Um, I, and there's something else that's happened this year that I think is a little bit that I didn't foresee happening. And maybe maybe you did, Caleb. But some of these teams that have been really good in the West, like Nashville. You know, like San Jose. Like, I didn't expect them to be this poor. They are. They're not great teams. I was watching Nashville play the other night against Toronto, and they just, they gave up. I was like, that team is, like, defeated. I, I would take the, I think the Canucks are better than them. I know the Canucks are better than the Sharks, too. And you know what? Even Vegas isn't what we thought they would be at this point. But there is a lot of season left, and that's where you're right, Rich. There's, you know, there's, they're a young team, and yes, they can... They can the wheels could fall off, but something that I have seen over this last 16 games almost makes me feel like they're gonna squeak in. Like, and I, I and and I've and I've been saying on this podcast for the last I don't know weeks. Kobe's Kirby's been employing me to. He's like, Art, just say it, say it. You think <laughs> you're gonna make the playoffs? Stop sitting on the fence. Yada yada yada. But I, I, but there is something in this last little run where, and you said it, Richard. There is something special about this team, and I think that is what's going to get them over the hump. And maybe it's Jacob Markstrom. Like, maybe it's Demko. Maybe these two goalies that give them a chance to win every single night. And because of that, these star players that they have on their team, these young star players, can pull it out. Like, we, like Quinn Hughes now, like, scoring from the yeah, point last night unreal. to start. Like, come yeah. on, like this, is, this is something we, we haven't seen in so long. Yeah. It is special. There is something special with this team. That's why, yes, I do believe that the uh, fire-bending train is ludicrous. I believe that. Like, look, look at this. Like, you're right, Rich. They, they are stacked, especially offensively. Uh, has he made some mistakes? Of course he's made some mistakes. What GM doesn't make mistakes right now? Especially as a rookie. Yeah, He came in with no experience, and if anyone hasn't seen the progression of him getting smarter and making better moves, like, what, why, are you, why would you fire him just to hire some other schmo who's never been a GM before and start all over again? I mean, it's, it is ludicrous is a great word. If, if you actually believe that that's the right move, you are completely clueless about what it takes to win in professional sports. Yeah, I mean, there's ego there too, right? Like if a new guy kind of comes comes in, he's going to want to like, you know, put his own stamp on it, put his own DNA on it. And sometimes yep. they'll make a move that maybe isn't the best idea just because they're like, well, I, I got the reins now, so I feel like I have to do something, right? And And sometimes we see moves like that from GMs when they come in and they can come back and bite you in the ass, right? Um like I, I mean, I, there's still moves that I wish he had. Oh, absolutely! Made like, or didn't oh, make. did he? Right. Did he make mistakes? Hundred yeah. percent, he did. Yeah. 
but he also did some good. Like, and and the Canucks are reaping the rewards of that. And other teams farmed it too, right? Like, how did Quinn Hughes fall to seven? Yeah. How did he yep. fall to seven? How did Pedersen fall to five? Yeah. Right? Exactly. But people are also being like, well, you know, he, how did he, Brock Besser fall to twenty two? Yeah, he picked Ulevi over over Kachuk. But it's like, yeah, but if he would have got Kachuk, do you think the next year? we would have had an opportunity to get a guy like Pedersen, right? Yeah. Like, these are, are debates and, and conversations you can have forever. How about how about, how about about his cap structure, though? Like, they're up against the cap right now. Yeah. Like, are you concerned about that, like, going forward with some of these young kids? Because it's important, some of these the, the some of these uh, deals that he's going to have to start making because we, we talk about all these stars that are on the team. They're going to have to get paid. Do you, do you well, have confidence have in him? Yeah, do you have confidence in him to do that? Well, he's going to have to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not worried about it right now. Yeah. I'm worried about this. Exactly. I'm worried about one thing for this team to do, and that's to make the playoffs. And I can't, like, stress this enough. How fun is it to be in January and to be constantly looking at the standings pretty much every single night in the NHL being like, man, are we pulling away? Like, what's going to happen? Like, how close is everything? How close? I haven't done this with the Canucks since, like, 2000, right? Like, that long ago, like when the actually no, probably like two thousand seven, two thousand eight was the last time I was really, really doing this. Yeah, because right? those those other seasons, you're yeah. like, oh, they're in the playoffs. So I mean, that's yeah. like thirteen yeah. years ago, where I where I haven't been like looking at the standings this much every single night. Those years in like 2010, 2011, 2009 even, you know, uh, 2014, even when they got Verbata and they had that one year, like I was like, this team's making the playoffs. It's fine. I'm not worried about it. But just to, like, be this engaged all the time, like, after every single game, looking around, scoreboard watching in the NHL, flipping to other games while your team's game is on just to get a feel for, like, oh, who's going to win? Like, I did that last night during, like, the Flames-Oilers game. I was just like, shit, like, what's happening? And, of course, the Flames fucking just had to make it a three-point game. Like, they couldn't (laughs) hold their goddamn lead. But... It's so good right now. Like it's so fun to watch, and it and it's exciting as as a fan of hockey and as a Canucks fan. Yeah. Something that I think is going to be really important down this stretch. You know, there's there's still 31 games left. There's a lot of season left. Yeah, the Canucks are 17 five and three at home. Like that is a distinct home ice advantage. Something we haven't seen at Rogers Arena in a long time. But I still feel like while the atmosphere has been much, much better and a lot more fun to be at the games this year, it still hasn't been overwhelming for the opposition at any point. This is a real stretch drive. drive. They have 16 home games left. It, it better be loud. It better be hostile for those opposing teams that are coming into Rogers Arena in these final couple months of the season. Like, I don't care if you are a high high-powered lawyer making a bunch of money in your suit at the game, you're given tickets. I don't care. You better be making noise and you better be making it difficult because this is the time to rally around this team and push them into the playoffs. Like we as fans owe it to this team. They are giving everything to win games and we have to do our part. If we are at the games, we got to be loud and we got to make it tough to play there. Yeah, I tell you, the, the the buzz has to start here soon. I feel like it really does, and it is, it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I just it started. It, it started, started, but it's yeah. not it's not the same as what it was. If you go back to those like the West Coast Express years, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it was because people were so starved. It'd been so long since we had a good team in Vancouver, and and it was many years of of awfulness. Like, I, I don't know, maybe the drought wasn't as long and. We were in the in the cup, not that. I feel long, like so. I, mean, I feel like this drought time, is but... just as long, though. 
It's maybe, starting yeah, to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I, the I agree market has changed, but I maybe the market has changed. But I I just remember like the the crowds in those early West Coast Express years when they were a young team and they were fighting to get back into the playoffs for the first time as a group. Like the place was so loud and electric. And even if you were just watching at home, you could feel the energy. And I don't get that feeling. When I go to the games, I enjoy it and I feel some energy, but I didn't, I don't feel it the same way this year like I did back then. And we need to bring it. And, that, and, that's, and that's why I'm having this conversation with you guys, because at what point do we, I feel like it's cute, cute, cute. This team is, you know, winning games. But when are they like a contender? Like, th- when, I, like when, when do we get to that point? Even during this run, we just saw. If they're sitting where they're sitting in the Pacific after the trade deadline, man, I think this team and the fans in this market are going to hit a completely different gear. I really do believe that. Whether they make a move at the trade deadline or not, and if they're sitting in this position, if they're sitting 1-2 in the Pacific – and people look at that and they're like, playoffs, like the moves have been made. Everybody's loaded up. And like, we're talking about playoffs now. Like, I think every single like sports radio show, uh, fans in the arena, fans outside the arena, the buzz, the talk, I think it's going to hit a completely different gear. Like there, there's, there's because of the drought. And I, I think this is the worst drought they've had. Um, from like kind of where they were to where they are now. Maybe it's because of the heartbreak of 2011 and just knowing that that team needed to be blown up a little sooner and, and not really believing in them since I think they've kind of rebuilt. I think it's about the same length. I, I yeah. look back, it's about the same length. It, it probably is about yeah. the same length, but for some reason it's just felt longer to me. And and I think a lot of fans, even hardcore fans, have had that like, should I trust them? Yeah. Should I trust that's them me. kind of feeling, that's right? Me. Like yeah. that's you. Yeah. Rich is kind of talking about that too. Like, I don't think that, that that groundswell of support has really started that because, like, so many people have been so, like, hurt by this team yeah. where they're like, like, is it time to believe? And if they can hold on, you know, especially after this road trip, this Eastern swing, like, if, even if they go, like, 500 on this Eastern, Eastern swing and come out at the end of this month past the trade deadline in one or two in the Pacific, I really, really think that that attitude is going to change. Like, people are going to be like, it's happening, like, Get ready. Yeah. You know? Uh, Rich, you're over on the lower mainland, so maybe you can attest to if you're feeling any buzz there because that's where you would really feel the buzz. For some reason, Victoria is not a fucking sports town. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. We've said that many times But I don't, I don't think Vancouver is either, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Vancouver is a, uh, an event town, and when the team is in the playoffs or when they're a cup contender, that is an event. People that don't care about this team at all are all of a sudden, like, talking – it almost actually annoys me because they don't know what they're talking about and they say things. Yeah. And I just like, I can't get into conversations with people like that. Cause I, I, I just don't want to talk to someone who thinks they know what they're talking about, but they don't. Um, so I just like bite my tongue. I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. And then I walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think there's been a noticeable buzz in this town. However, the people that you know are real Canucks fans and that are talking about the last few years and how they feel about this year. Like th- that's where the buzz is where, um, you know, like at work and I, I see a couple guys that I know are, are big fans and they're like, as opposed to maybe once in a while, like, oh, how about those Canucks now? It's like, did you see that game last night? Did you see the game the other night? Like, there's, there is that excitement when you see a fellow Canucks fan 
that you're like, hey, we got to talk about this because it's so much fun to watch and it's so much fun to talk about. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because, like, when I felt that way, it was back when I was in high school, you know, like the going to going to school and everybody was like, oh, there's a Canucks game. Even my teachers were that way. And I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like we haven't had that in a long time. Anticipation, right? I feel like that the floor is starting to rumble, though, yeah. man. I really do. I feel like the floor is starting to rumble a little bit. Like, even guys that, like, stop watching Canucks that I know are, like, they know I'm crazy, right? Like, they're like... Yes, you are crazy. <laughs> well, they're like, what does this like, have to do with the Canucks? They kind of look at me because they, well, they just they they know I'm crazy about the Canucks, right? And oh, they, oh, sorry. And they're like half the time they don't even want to talk about it because they don't want to put me in a mood, right? Like if the Canucks are shit, they just know they're like, okay, we're hanging out with them. We're like, don't even bring it up. We'll go on a tirade, right? But now, like, it's guys that like aren't even that into sports, and they they just look at me and they like want to humor me, you know? They're like, the Canucks are good, and I'm like, fucking yeah, they are, man, like. <laughs> And they're like, I, I actually watched, like, a couple games. And I'm like, yeah, like, keep doing it. You know, support the team. This is getting awesome. And and even over the last couple months, I've had, like, friends that, you know, haven't even been watching since, like, the run. You know, since, like, 2011 being like, you want to watch the game? And I'm like, what do I look like? Guy who's not going to watch the game? Of course. Yeah, come over. We'll watch the game. And it's just, it just seems like, like there's a rumble now. It hasn't gone into, like, a full-on you know, like but everybody I, going crazy, but it does seem like there's like a rumble. But so I, here's here's where it gets most exciting is is just how young they are. Yeah, considering that how much of a future this team has, and uh, here's something that I, it just kind of uh, piqued my interest a few weeks ago. So I started looking into it, but uh, I think I might have brought this up with you, Art. Um, chances are Quinn Hughes is either going to win the Calder Trophy or he's going to be in the top two. Yeah, so. That would give the Canucks with the Besser runner-up, followed by Pedersen's win, followed by Hughes in the top two of Calder voting. So I started thinking to myself, when was the last time a team had three years in a row with a player that was top two in Calder voting? So I had my guess. I've done the research and I have my answer, but I just wanted to get your guess on, on who was the last team and if you can think of the players that might have been in there. Okay, so there's... There's two teams that I think, and it's a really good sign that I'm thinking of these two teams. One of them is Caleb Kirby's favorite team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I thought it was the Blackhawks was his favorite team. No, no, it's a joke. He fucking hates the Pittsburgh Penguins. I hate the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> you love the Hawks, though. I yes. do like the, I have a healthy respect for the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes. Yeah, so I love that rivalry. The Hawks are my other guess. If I, if I only had one guess, though, I, I think I'll go Pittsburgh. That's my guess. So Pittsburgh had Crosby as runner-up. Mm-hmm. Hard to remember that, but he yeah. was runner-up to Ovechkin. Ovechkin the same year. He yeah. came out of the, the lockout. Because the lockout, yeah. Followed by Malkin winning. However, the next year, they did not have someone in the oh. top two. And and the Blackhawks, they only had Patrick Kane, 2008, won it. Uh, they didn't have any other guys in that era. So... So then th- those are the two teams I went to first as well. What so about, what about Detroit? Then I started thinking about maybe Detroit earlier. Uh, they had Lidstrom as runner-up in 92 to Burray. Yeah. Nice little callback. And then uh, Fedorov was the runner-up to Belfort in 91 the year before. Yeah. But they didn't have a third guy. So I kept huh. going down the list, down the list. The last time that that happened, 1959, 58, 57, the original six years. So there's only six teams back then. You had 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. Carl Brewer in 1959 was the runner-up. Oh, good old Carl Brewer. In 58, Frank Mahovlich won. And in 57, Ed Chadwick was the runner-up for the Maple Leafs. That was the last time that a team had three consecutive years with someone in the top two in Calder voting. Like, that is – it blew my mind to think about how exciting – this is for this team like and it's just and, how much potential this Canucks team has and it's hard to really even count that one because of the Toronto media bias back then right? <laughs> totally the yeah six. exactly no wow. like I and that's I agree good. that's good I agree Rich. with you Rich that's like good. that's that's a really really cool stat that you brought up we've been talking about that a little bit too the last couple of weeks of just like how insane that that is that like three years straight we've we've looked at either runner-ups or or um I think we should Rookie post that the on between the stammers. Yeah. We we should do a we should do like we should do it in a poll and we could be like and, which year and, which year and 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 by Art saying we he means you Rich. Oh, I don't run that. <laughs> I don't even have a password to your your between the stammers Twitter. Uh, I just have at Rich Brown Sports. Feel free to follow me. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tag you, and it'll be your it'll be your question, right? Well, and, and well, what we'll do is we'll just put it in a poll, and then people can answer, and then you can give the answer later, or something like that. Sure. People can that look it up on that's, dude, that's an Thanks. awesome that's an awesome stat. Thanks for looking that up. That's really yeah. Bad. Well, I, I just I found that pretty interesting because I, I figured it must have happened at some point, especially especially after two thousand when it felt like teams were uh in the tank for a while and then, you know, those Blackhawks and Penguins teams like yeah. kind of figured maybe Marc Andre Fleury, Malkin and Crosby would be the three, or even yeah. like Latang could fit in there somewhere. Um but when it came to top two in Calder voting, and you think about that's that's tough to have one of the top Absolutely. two rookies three years in a row. That's not normal. So no, um, it it's just thrilling to think about the future with those guys, along with uh, Horvat, and along with even Godet uh, and Pod Colson, and like my God, this team has potential. Um, you know what's really funny too is um, Art Art this year. He kind of said at the beginning of the season he was talking about guys hitting points. You know, and he was like, you know, if these guys hit 70 points, this team should be in the playoffs. And they're all pacing that way. Like, that's yeah. another yep. underlying statistic that you can kind of look at and be, like, very excited for. Um, I, like, I, and, I, just I don't think like anybody expected Hughes to, like, put up this kind no, of play potential. Nobody, nobody expected yeah. Vertanen to do what he's doing either. Like, yeah. Jake has been a breath of fresh air this year. And, they're, they're and he seems there, like he's guys. become the yeah. player that a lot of people wanted him to be, right? So it's it's been very very encouraging in in that sense. Okay, guys, because uh, we've been going pretty long here. I want I want to I want to finish with the only controversy really that's going on in Canucks line right now. And Kirby kind of mentioned it earlier, but um, Brock Besser down on the third line. This is the only like negative thing that I can see on tw- on Canucks Twitter right now because you know you got to find something to be negative about the team. Uh, Brock Besser playing the third line. He's been pointless in I guess. I don't know. Did he get a point? He got a last point game? last night. Oh, he did. Okay. He, before that, though, he had he was pointless in five straight games, and everybody was wondering, okay, does he have a place on this team with Jake Vertanen playing so well on the first line? I'm just. I know how. I, I know how I feel about this. I was just wondering what you guys thought about this. Go he ahead, definitely Rich. has a place. He definitely has a place. The, especially in the salary cap era, it's a lot about depth, right? Like Vertanen's not going to be scoring points all year round either. So when he's having his slump, Brock Besser jumps back up, and then all of a sudden he catches fire. I mean, that's how you win over the course of a long season. So Besser's had a great year. I think his two-way game has has really been improved. 
Um, and I don't think playing with Adam Gaudet is much of a slight either. Like that guy's a heck of an offensive hockey player. You put Besser with him, who's got that two-way game going and a wicked shot. Um, I I don't have any problem with seeing him down there right now. And I also don't think it's a permanent thing. Like I'd be shocked if we see Brock Besser on the third line a week from now. And that's kind of how I see it as well. Um, I think that uh, Vertanen and him will, you know, that's a, that's a nice that's a nice opportunity to make a change in the lineup when you're struggling, right? You know, you can do that. So I'm I'm not really that worried about it. But it seems like it's it seems like it is uh, you're punishing Brock Besser. I think that's what some people see it as. You know, it's funny. Travis Green made a comment at the beginning of the season when everybody was giving Jake shit for not drinking water out of a water bottle and skating with that third Utica team because he was somewhat out of shape. He didn't reach his fitness goals, I guess, is how they put it in the papers and everything like that. And he said, I expect Jake to be a big part of this team. That was one of the things he said. I expect him to be a big part of this team. And you can see him rewarding him. And I think it it goes well for, I think it really, really like, everybody knows what we have in Besser, Right. Jake is one of those guys that I honestly think Green wants to develop in a guy who can drive a line on his own, night in and night out. And putting him on a line with a guy like JT Miller, who you see the effort is there night in and night out, I think that's what he's doing. Miller and Petey, they're showing Jake what it's like to have to play to this level, at this level, to be on that top line night in and night out. So when he ever decides to move Besser back up there and Jake back down there, Jake can impart that on guys like Gaudette, and whoever the heck else he's playing with. The thing about Vertanen is he has tools, man. Like, he has an awesome shot. He's also not scared to shoot the puck. Like, we've seen that lately. Like, he he lets it go whenever he has a chance, and that's why he's scoring on the power play. He's one of the few guys that's shooting on the power, on the power when, play right now. When he walked right? out from the corner there or the side with the puck on that go-ahead goal yesterday, yeah. I'm like, pass it, pass it. What are you doing? What are you doing? I, okay, great. Right? <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what the hell he was thinking, but then he goes posting in with a beautiful shot. So uh, he's obviously a much better hockey player than I am. Cause I would have passed <laughs> that because I would have had no confidence in myself to score yeah. from there. But um, he does have a great shot. It's really improved this year. And his, I think accuracy has been the biggest thing. Like how many times have we seen in the past uh, years where he's had an opportunity like that in the slot and he fires it over the net or whatever. So uh, you know, just improving your shot can really make a difference in your game. And I think that's played paid big dividends for him this year. And hockey IQ, man. Like, when you're playing with guys like Miller and, and Petey who are that crafty with the puck all the time, it makes you do things. It makes you think the game different than maybe it has when you're playing on a third line that, you know, is like kind of protect your own zone first. Don't get too crafty, right? Like, you, you watch them on the wall now, and that game against the Blues where, you know, Miller scored two, like, that first play, he was up on the sidewall, and he's just like, okay, quick, back to Tanev. Like, just, like, routine hockey, you know, where a lot of guys, they get the puck, they panic with it. He's just like, boom, back to Tanev. Tanev over to Miller. Miller pops it. Skates down. Saucer pass. Miller, you know, like, puts it in and off the side. Where a lot of people saw that play, I think you said, Art, when that play happened, you're like, shoot it, shoot it. And then he passed it to Miller over yeah, on the side, yeah. and you're like, or do that. Or do and that's that. like, that's yeah. the playmaker that we haven't seen with Vertanen before. And it's great to see him be able to do that. We know Brock has those tools. And I think that's kind of why Brock is down on that third line as well. Because Green's like, okay, well, maybe he can help develop a guy like Gaudet, right? These guys are, I think they're teaching each other right now. I think Vertanen's learning from guys like PD and Miller. And I think Brock is trying to you know, impart some of that on a guy like Audette and Roussel and make that line a little more dynamic. 
Okay, and the other the other the other thing about about this as well, you can't split up that second line, right? You got Horvat right. and Pearson and Louis Erickson playing really well. <laughs> that, that, that second line, right? The BLT line. Are are you upset that perhaps Louis Erickson has passed Brock Besser on the depth chart? I don't think he's passed him on the depth chart. It's just that that's a line that that's going right now. They're and not just uh, scoring goals with empty nets, but also defending well. Yeah. Uh, controlling the puck and so when a when a line is working well you're not going to split them up just because you want to give Jake Furtanen a chance with the the top line well Besser doesn't just drop down to the second just because of that you put him with uh, a line where you're not breaking up the chemistry and you also have to consider that this is not you know the NHL from 10 15 20 years ago it's all about you got to have at least three scoring lines and the Canucks third line is a scoring line still like it's not like you're saying, oh, we got to shut down the opponent, send out Adam Gaudet. Like it's more like, oh, we got a tie game, we need Adam Gaudet to score again because he scored a lot of late go-ahead goals. Like uh, playing on that third line with Gaudet is is not a punishment by any means. It's it's just playing with different players and maybe getting a little bit less ice time. Um, but he's still out there on the power play, uh, number one power play, and everything. So I see absolutely no issue with it. I, I also get excited, too, like when, when you hear uh, like fans and media and everybody speculate about what line is the first line, what line is the second line, what line is the third line, and one, what line is the fourth line. When it's set in stone, like when you know you have a top line, a second line, a third line, and a fourth line, I think that's when a team's in trouble. When you're trying to figure out, like, who's our second line? Like, they're both so good. This is awesome. I think that's like – that's a sign of a healthy team. Like, teams competing to constantly be a better line – than the other line that they're playing on. Like if it's, if it's set, then you have a problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you guys. And I think we get all a little bogged down in first, second and third lines yeah. all the time. And I think coaches like love to do that. Cause I've been in a few press boxes where they've like put clearly their best line as like the fourth line that they fill in. I feel like they're kind of telling us, you know, don't, don't get too bogged in what the first, second and line, second and third lines are. Because yeah. that's that's a fan thing looking at. It, well, it's right? just human nature. Yeah. We always have to like categorize things, yeah, we right? Have like to we always things. do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only real negative. Oh, Tyler Mott did get hurt last game, and he's been playing really well in that fourth line, drive helping to drive that fourth line. That's that's something to look at. Apparently, he's been sent home, so he's yeah. not going to be with the team for the rest of this uh, road trip. So, do you hear about yeah, they, Hurdle? What happened with him? He's done for the season. Done. Thomas Hurdle done. His knee. Blew out his knee last night in that game. Holy fuck. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Things are getting worse for the Sharks, and they're already pretty much as bad as bad can be. But, yeah, like what you said, Mott Mott went back to Vancouver, and they're looking at his shoulder and his head. They're saying it could be one or the other. Uh, Oh, one question about Mott. That that hit, too, by the way, the Carlson hit. A lot of Canucks fans didn't like that. What did you guys think of that hit? Uh, I think it's the type of play that's going to happen in hockey. Um it was, I wouldn't say it was like malicious or anything like that. It, it certainly should have been a penalty because you can easily get penalties for things that you didn't mean to hurt someone or you didn't mean to do something against the rules of the game. Like most tripping penalties are not because the guy's like, you know what, I'm going to trip this guy. It's because someone is uh, getting around you and you try to get your stick at the puck and you end up tripping him. In this case, Carlson was kind of trying to ride him around the boards and protect the puck and he ended up kind of driving his head uh, and shoulder into the boards in an awkward manner. I thought it was a penalty, but I didn't think it was dirty. Yeah, to me, that's an injury resulting in a battle. Like, yeah. 
Both those guys are trying to pursue that puck. They're both going in together, and one guy has leverage with his weight over the other guy, and the other guy's pushing back. Carlson rode him into the wall, and an injury was a result of it. It And, like, it could be a penalty. It just could have easily not have been a penalty. It sucks that he got hurt of it, uh, hurt out of it. Like, when I first saw that, I'm like, it's either a severed shoulder or a collarbone. And then when I heard the head stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it could be that, too. Like, his head did kind of hit the hit the boards, but I don't think it was, like, malicious. I don't think it was a hit from behind or anything else like that. It's just two guys, and Mott was lower, right? And when you're lower, you don't you don't have the leverage. Yeah, I just saw the pitchforks out a little bit on Canucks Twitter last night, and uh, that's that's interesting also in the, in the way uh, we perceive things right now because we're we're following it on Twitter, and you can you know reporters have a lot of power on Twitter right now to start narratives, start lines. Like, was it Thomas Strance that was like, "This was a terrible hit by Kess- yeah by, by by Carlson. He knows what he was doing," and it like kind of started a narrative, right? Yeah. Um, I personally, I'm with you guys on that one. I didn't like, yeah, it was, I didn't like it, obviously, and I didn't like the result, but I don't, I don't think it was malicious either. It was definitely battle. Canucks Twitter is where reason goes to die, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but, it's, but, but it wasn't like Canucks fans. It was like reporters. No, I know. Yeah. I know. I, I, a lot of times it's the reporters that, that start it. They, I don't know. They, I think they're more emotional than some of the fans are. Uh, absolutely. They are fans at the core, and they, they try not to be biased, but yeah. they actually might have more of a rooting interest than any fan because they have personal relationships with these guys. They like them. You know, they talk to them on a daily basis. They know who they are. Um, so, of course, they want them to succeed. And, you know, if you talk to Tyler Mott every day and then you see him get ridden into the boards and his head hits the boards like that, you're like, hey, what the hell? Like, that was dirty. But when you look at it objectively and you just watch the play and you, you kind of think about it as what was Carlson trying to do in this situation, you have to really look at it holistically. You can understand that it was – it's just a hockey play. That's, unfortunately, that's hockey. Not every not every head injury and not every uh, play that results in injury is a result of dirty act, and you can't prevent people from getting hurt in contact sports, yeah. whether it's football, basketball, hockey, whatever it is. People are going to get hurt, and you can make all the rules you want to try and prevent it, and uh, that's a good thing. You know, you want to take headshots out of the game and everything, but sometimes things just happen, and to me, that was one of those plays where something just happened. Yeah, it ain't ballet, right? Like, it's just yeah. it shit like this happens. You got what, you got boards that are, are pretty solid that you're going to run into, you know? Yeah. And uh, the NHL takes a lot of shit for this, but I still, and I, I've said this before on this podcast, and – I still think they're probably the best refed league of all the major leagues. Mm. And I'll stand by that. You know, I think they're better than the NFL, the MLB, um, NBA. And it's, it's not an easy game to ref either because things happen so, so quickly. Right. But I also like the fact that they're, and I do like kind of the fact that there are two guys on the ice because they do get two different points of view and they're objective, right? And if one guy calls it and the other guy thinks that, yeah, that might be a bullshit call, he'll he'll do a makeup call and try and make the game as even as, as they can. They try and be objective. They it, do their best. Uh, one criticism of NHL refing, uh, Gary Bettman addressed in the All-Star game. I, it just kind of came out of his conversation with Ron McClain. And he was saying that everybody thinks the refing changes in the playoffs. He says, we're not instructing the refs to do anything different when the playoffs start. He say that. It's just 
the the level of competition picks up so much yeah. that it seems like it's changed. Yeah. Anyways, he he talked about that. that and that's that's one of the criticisms. Yeah, the I, saw, I saw that interview as well. Yeah. I kind of I understand what he's saying. I I don't I've never thought the league tells the refs, hey, you know, let's let things go more. I I don't think the league is instructing them, but at the same time, I think public pressure of like you don't want to be the one to call a ticky tacky penalty in a big playoff game in a physical game. So it's just kind of like, um, it's just kind of like history. The history of the NHL is that playoffs are tougher and referees let more things go. So as a new referee comes into the league, he feels that culture of let's let things go a little bit more in the playoffs. I think that's just the way things go. I do think refing is a little bit different. So do do you think that's a negative on the refs though? Do you think that, or do you think uh, that's just time, the way it is? That's just the way it at, is. At times, I think I think in the playoffs, at times, they let too much go. Like, it, 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 there's been so many times where it feels like they swallow the whistle. And if a guy has a scoring chance and he gets tripped incidentally, I'm sorry, that's a penalty. That's how the NHL works. Like, that should be a penalty. And I feel like on those incidental ones where it's three minutes left in a tie game or it's overtime or whatever, they don't want to call those ones. Um, and I, I disagree. I think that the player who created the scoring chance drew the penalty and therefore should be rewarded with a power play. That's the way it should work. But I, I don't think that's the way it usually goes in the playoffs. With that said, I think the NHL playoffs are by far the most exciting postseason. Um, I, you know what? I don't necessarily think it's the ref putting pressure on the on the referees or, or the coaches. or I think it's the referees putting pressure on themselves. They yeah, know, yeah. like, they're standing in a rink, and the rink is going crazy, and they can feel the energy from the crowd. They can see the energies on the benches. Guys are, like, like guys are out there like they're about to drive, like, an, a f- fighter jet, you know? Like, they're just, like, fully amped up, and they get off the benches, and the refs feel that. Like, the arena probably feels a little smaller for them, and they're like, I got to get this shit right. And I always look at, at a quote from, like, Wes McCauley that I truly believe in, and I think he he's one of the best referees on the ice pretty much every game he refs, but also I think he's probably the best referee at um, explaining things to fans and winning fans over to get an understanding of a ref's point of view because every time he explains something, he doesn't come across as, like, pompous or arrogant. He's just, like, a meat and potatoes guy, and he's like, listen, like, if if it's in a game that matters and, like, I see a penalty that affects the play where the puck is and everything else – I got to make that call. I have to make that call. But if it's behind the play in a game that matters and it's ticky-tack shit that I've seen kind of going all game back and forth a little bit, I'm not going to make the call and blow the game for for one team or another team. He's like, it has to be where the puck is. And and if that's the case, I'm going to try and do it. But like he's like, we're not perfect either, so you got to give us a bit of slack. Yeah. Uh, wow, we really kind of went off tangent there, but that was a great conversation. Uh, and, man. This is one of our longest podcasts ever, guys. Good one. Uh, the Canucks are about to go on a road trip, or they are on the road trip right now. They got uh, next game is Saturday against the Islanders in New York. Early one. Yeah. Is that the 4 o'clock start? Oh, here? Yeah, it's like a 10 a.m. start. Yeah. Oh, we hate those ones, guys. They swept it last time they did that, though. They had uh, back-to-back right. afternoon games in, I know Minnesota was the second oh, one. Where was the first one? New Jersey, I think, or something like that? yeah. yeah. Um, wow! Yeah, so, they, so we got the both. we got back to back early starts this weekend. Guys. Yeah, and you can watch that Carolina game before the Super Bowl. Oh wow! And then go Niners, baby! Just win. But yeah, this is uh, I guess this is the uh, our last uh, 
the last podcast before the Super Bowl. Do you guys want to get in Super Bowl predictions? I think we know where Rich is going. Uh, Kirby? <laughs> I think the Niners are going to win. Yes, smart man. I, I do. And, you know, I won't be mad if they do. But I, I got a soft spot for Andy Reid. I just, I just feel like that guy's come so close and he's had so many teams. And I wouldn't mind seeing him win one. I don't like the Chiefs. I don't really like the Niners. And I'll be okay with either who wins. I just want to see another good game. Whoa, 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 whoa. Andy <laughs> Reid won the pass, punt, and kick contest. What more does the man need? <laughs> I, Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm really excited about the Super Bowl. This is the most excited I've been about a Super Bowl in a very long time. Yeah, you're not nervous at all. I'm not nervous going into the Super Bowl. Uh, anything that happens, I mean, it happens, I, I, which is going to be great. I, I, I love the offense versus defense here. I really do. And I do think San Francisco's a more complete team. Yeah, I do, I do too. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is fucking special, guys. And he's a guy who can, you know, he can score in three plays. He can get the ball on his own five and score in three plays. He's like a Peyton Manning. No, he's he's got a far. Well, bigger he doesn't. Really, he doesn't like he 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 doesn't have the best team around him, right? He has yeah. offensive weapons, but I I honestly think that the 49ers are the more complete team. Yeah, I right? do believe that. But I'm I'm just saying he's to me. I look across like if I'm 49ers, I'm like I'm scared. But the 49ers have the players to play against him. They do like that front is really really good. They they have to get to him. They have to they have to stop him the way the the Patriots did in the first in the first half of the AFC championship game last year. Remember that? It was, you need to, you need to get, and they got to him fast. So if those guys can get to, to Mahomes uh, for this entire game, they're going to have to, because he can score in three plays. Curry's telling me to wrap it up. (laughs) How does it feel, Art? How does it feel? (laughs) Um, So I'm predicting a 49ers win as well, which is why the, uh, the Chiefs will probably win. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, do you guys have like a score prediction? I'm going to go 34 31 San Francisco. Mm. I think if, if the Chiefs put up over 30, they win the game. Ooh. I think I think they got to hold the uh, Niners got to hold them into the 20s. So let's go. I'm going to say 28 24 Niners. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm going to go 34 28 Niners. That's where I go. All right. Uh, Rich Brown, where can we find you on the internet? At Rich Brown Sports on Twitter. And that's it. He's, that's the, only, he's the only one who has a blue check mark because he's the only real person yeah. in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Caleb Kirby, where can we find you? At Curbman23 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Art Aronson uh, and you can tweet between the S. Why are we between the S? I don't know, man. We just do what we do. Although Caleb Kirby, uh, he broke the internet last night. Oh, get off it. (laughs) That was a good one. I enjoyed it. It went viral. It it did go viral. I'm still getting pinged on that, people liking that that tweet. Uh, So, yeah, if you have any uh, questions, concerns, comments, please. You can also email us. Not that anybody does that anymore. Between the stammers at gmail.com. If you want to write a nice soliloquy or if you want to just get on art for not wrapping this podcast up soon enough. All right. What's uh, What's your fax line? (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah i I also want to dedicate that podcast to to kobe bryant and his daughter and everybody else on the, the plane so yeah thanks guys